Amen. Thank you for your good singing. <clears throat> My throat is a little dry this morning, so stick with me if I have to take some drinks <laughs> today. All right. Well, turn with me to Ephesians 6. <clears throat> And we'll be looking at verse 14 once again. So we looked at last week the first piece of the armor of God that Paul lays out for us in this passage. Today we're going to look at the second piece, the breastplate of righteousness, the armor of righteousness. And did you know that Satan cares whether or not you are righteous? He really does. Satan is very interested in if you are living righteously or not. Sometimes he actually cares about our righteousness more than we do. He wants to know how strong our commitment to righteousness is. And he wants to know areas where we might be weak so that he can target them and exploit them in our lives. He finds those gaps, those weak spots in our armor, and he knows how to aim his arrows well. So are you living righteously? That's the question that we have to consider today. But even as I say that, what, is it, what does that even mean? What does it mean to live righteously? What does it mean to put on the breastplate of righteousness? How do we do that? Why is it important? And that's what we're going to consider today as we look at Ephesians 6, 14 again. So again, if, you're, if you have your Bibles, turn with me there to Ephesians 6, 14. Paul is introducing the armor of God to us, and he says in verse 14, Stand therefore... With truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, or as other translations would put it, with the breastplate of righteousness on. So what does that mean? What does it mean to have righteousness on us as armor? How do we put it on and why is it important in our fight against our evil enemy? Well, to summarize the answer in our big idea today, put on the breastplate of righteous living according to God's instruction and with God's provision in order to stand against your evil enemy. So the big idea is a little big actually today, but put on the breastplate of righteous living according to God's instruction and with God's provision in order to stand against your evil enemy. So let's pray and ask God for his help as we consider this topic today. Oh Lord God, you are a God of righteousness. And what a powerful and important and grand topic that is to consider your righteousness. That because you are righteous, you must punish our sin because we have broken the law and we deserve your punishment, we are guilty. And yet, in your righteousness, you also 
have taken our sin and put it on Christ, have punished him in our place to display your commitment to righteousness and to a righteous salvation for those who trust in Christ. Thank you that as we sing about our hope, our righteousness is in Christ alone, not in the deeds that we do, not in the ways that we live, but it's in Christ and that when we trust in him, we are clothed with his own spotless righteousness. How beautiful. Thank you, Lord. But even as we do trust in Christ for salvation, to be counted righteous before you, that leads to a righteous life, to righteous actions in our lives. That we don't just accept this gift and do nothing with it, but that it transforms us and moves us to live righteously. And I pray you would help us to understand that today, to see the importance of living righteously and to know how we can actually do that and why we need to in order to stand against Satan's attacks. Lord, please, please give me clarity. Please give me grace today as I preach from your word. I pray that it would be clear and that you would use me as your instrument to build your church, to edify us by your grace, and that if there is anyone here who does not truly know you as Lord and Savior, that they would come to understand that and be saved. And I pray also for the, the kids, and those in the, with the kids in nursery, please give them grace, give them love, wisdom as they minister to the children. Help Angie to teach your word clearly. And even at a young age, Lord, give the children understanding, faith in your word, that they would know that it is true and that you would work in their hearts as well. And we ask these things for your glory, Lord, and in your name. Amen. So what is the breastplate of righteousness, or as the CSB says, to put righteousness on like armor on your chest. What, what does that refer to? Well, it's righteous living, righteous living. If you think back last week, we had a picture of a, a Roman soldier in his armor, and there he is again. That's the main piece of armor that they would wear. So it would cover the, the torso and the shoulders. It, it's a breastplate. It covers their, their vital organs. It's the biggest piece that they're wearing. But what does this refer to spiritually in our lives? Because we're not putting on, you know, real armor. <clears throat> what is this? Some would say that it refers to the righteousness that we receive when we trust in Christ as our Savior. And I don't think that's what Paul's talking about here because these people had already been saved that he's writing to. He's writing to the Ephesian Christians and they've already accepted Christ. They've already been declared righteous with the righteousness of Christ. So he's not telling them to get saved again or something like that. He's telling them that now that they've received that gift of righteousness from Christ, go live righteously. Go be righteous in the way that you live. 
But it is important that we understand that that gift of righteousness from Christ, by faith in Christ, that's the foundation for this. We can't live righteously the way that God wants us to unless we have first been given the gift of Christ's righteousness by faith in Christ. So again, it's one of those things where it's hard to separate the two. You receive the gift of Christ's righteousness. You can't live righteously without that because that's what transforms us from the inside out to live righteously. So Paul here is saying to take that gift of righteousness that Christ has given you by faith in Christ and now put it to action. Live it out. Live righteously the way that God wants you to. And we see that in other passages in Ephesians where Paul refers to righteousness. He, he only talks about righteousness three times actually in Ephesians. One is this passage where he says to put it on like armor. Then back in Ephesians 4.24, he's talking about us putting on, so same word there, put on the new self, the new man, the new person that we are in Christ, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. So righteousness is an essential ingredient, an essential characteristic of Christ's image, of God's image in us, that as we are being transformed to be like Jesus, he is making us righteous. We live righteously. And then again, in Ephesians chapter 5, Verse 9, Paul is talking about how we are no longer in the darkness. We are in the light, and we are supposed to live as children of light. And what does that look like when you live in the light? It says, for the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. So as we seek to live in the light, what is that going to produce in our lives? What fruit will that bear? Goodness? and righteousness and truth in our lives. And so again, when Paul mentions righteousness here in chapter 6, it's that same idea. As we live the way that we're supposed to, as we are transformed to be like Christ, it will make us righteous. We will live righteously. And just like last week with the belt of truth, Paul is once again referring to a passage in Isaiah. This time it's Isaiah 59, 17, where it's speaking of God himself. It says he put on righteousness as body armor or a, as a breastplate, some translations say, and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and he wrapped himself in zeal as in a cloak. So in this passage in Isaiah, God basically looks around and he says, why is no one standing up for my people? to rescue them, to do what is right. And God says, I'm going to go rescue them. I'm going to go do what is right. And he puts on righteousness as armor to go out and to do battle against evil and to rescue his people. And Paul is alluding to that passage here where he said, just like God was righteous in saving and rescuing his people and defending his people now you also, as you are becoming like God, need to live righteously. But what does that mean? Righteousness. It's a word that we can throw around a lot in our 
um, in our Christian circles, but what does that actually mean, to be righteous, to live righteously? Well, the idea of being righteous simply means that you have met a certain standard that has been set, that God has set a standard, and if you meet that standard, you are righteous. A couple illustrations that might help us understand this. You know, our law, our government has certain laws. They have set these laws for us to follow. That's the standard they have set for us. If we obey those laws, we live according to those laws, we are righteous according to the government that we're under. Or if someone gets married, they make vows to their spouse. That is the standard that they are setting Say, we are going to be faithful to one another, and that is the standard they are setting. And if they follow those vows in marriage, they would you could say they are righteous according to their marriage vows, that in that sphere, they are living righteously. Or this one's actually very dangerous. Many times, we set our own standard, don't we? We come up with our own ways of living, where, oh, I think it's okay to live this way, and that's the standard we set, and so we live self-righteously because we're living according to our own standard. But that's not what Paul is saying here. He is telling us to live up to the standard that God sets for us, not one that we create for ourselves. And so that brings us to our second point. If we're going to live righteously... How do we actually know what to do? How do we know what standard God has set for us? Well, we need some kind of instruction, some teaching, some revelation from God. And so, as our big idea says, we put on the breastplate of righteous living according to God's instruction and with God's provision in order to stand against our evil enemy. So in order to live righteously, we have to obey God's instruction for righteous living. We have to obey God's instruction for righteous living. But that raises the question, where do we find this instruction? Okay? Let me think with me for a minute. <clears throat> if we are supposed to follow a certain standard that God sets for us, there has to be some sort of objective way to know what that standard is. So again, with the laws of our country, if they expect us to follow those laws, they have to put those somewhere where we can go and read them and know what those laws are. So it is with God. If he expects us to live a certain way, then we have to know how, what that way is somehow. He has to reveal that to us in some way. And he doesn't do that to us through impressions and through emotions. That's subjective. Someone could say, well, God told me to live this way. I had this feeling. And someone else could say, well, God told me to live the complete opposite way because he impressed it on my heart. Which one's right? We need an objective way to know what, how God wants us to live. 
So thankfully, he has given us that objective revelation in the Bible. He has told us how he wants us to live, what that righteous standard is in his word, in the Bible, the word of God. That is where we find the way that God wants us to live. That is how we know how to live righteously is according to God's instruction in the Bible. And so that's why it's so important that we read and study and know the Bible. That's why we're, one of the reasons we're teaching in Sunday school about how do you study the Bible? How do you understand it? How do you apply it to your life appropriately? That's why we promote the Bible reading plan that I mentioned at the beginning of the service. Because we all individually need to be in the word of God so that we are growing in our understanding of how he wants us to live. And that's why when we gather on Sunday mornings, we are very careful to preach from the Bible. I want to base everything that I say up here from the Bible, okay? This is God's instruction for us for how to live righteously. If I'm just up here coming up with my own opinions and ideas, you have every right to say, Zach, that's not the word of God. That's just what you think. I want to be under submission to God's word because that is his instruction to us for how we can live righteously. So we study the word of God. We think about it deeply. We try to make sure we're clearly understanding what it teaches and not just one piece of it, one section of it, but as Paul said that he taught the whole counsel of God. We need that to live righteously. But again, just like we saw last week, this goes beyond just knowing a bunch of Bible information in our heads. When we study the Bible, when we read the word of God, we need the right attitude towards it. There's a lot of people who know exactly how God wants them to live according to the Bible, but they reject it. Their heart attitude towards the word of God is wrong. They have put themselves over in authority over God's revelation. And so when we come to the Bible, we come humbly. We submit ourselves to what the word of God says. And we say, Lord, if you've said it, I want to believe it. If you have commanded it, I want to obey it. We need to come to the word of God with the right attitude. As Christ said, that we should hunger and thirst for righteousness, that we come wanting to learn and grow and obey. And I do want to make that clear that living righteously, obeying God's instruction, it's, it's not a, a drudgery where we just have to go through all these boring routines and we can never do anything fun and it's just command, 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 and it's this big burden that we have to bear. That's not what God wants for us. Obeying God is a joy. It's a delight. If you, even if you just think about it, if you follow the way God says to live, 
life would be so much more peaceful, so much happier. We would get along with one another so much better. Our society would be so much better. But what's the problem? We disobey. We reject what God has told us to do. So when we come to the Bible, it's not just, okay, I'm going to fill my mind with a list of laws and rules that God wants me to follow. And man, this is so hard. It's no, Lord, I love you. And I know that your plan for me is good. And I, I want to obey you and grow in experiencing your love and the goodness that you have for me. Help me to obey. You hunger and you thirst after righteousness. That's our attitude when we come to the word of God. That doesn't mean that our Christian life is always going to be easy where God says it and it's just, you know, a, 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 I can't think of the expression that I need to use, but where God says it and then we're just able to do it and it's so easy and that's not the Christian life. The Christian life is tough. Sometimes it is easy to obey, but sometimes it's very hard. Sometimes that's very difficult to do what God wants us to do, to be patient with people, to, to wait on God's timing for something instead of my own. Man, that's tough. But again, God has not left us on our own to do this. This is not a burden that he just drops on our backs and says, okay, good luck. I hope you can carry it. But what did Paul emphasize in verse 10? Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength that God's infinite power is at work in us through his spirit. And so he tells us what to do and he also empowers us to do it. We have to rely on him. We must depend on him and draw on that power to obey. Otherwise, it, it will be a crushing burden. We can't do this on our own. But when we rely on God, he gives us the strength to obey. And one more clarification I want to make about this. This is not talking about being sinless and perfect. None of us will ever be sinless and perfect in this lifetime on this side of heaven. Part of living righteously is that when we do sin and when we do fail, we get back up and we look to Christ, we confess it, we trust in him and we keep going. But, but though we are not called to be sinless in this life. That's unrealistic. We should have what one writer calls a full-orbed integrity. Where as I mentioned at the beginning, we, we don't really have any open weak spots that Satan can just freely attack. <clears throat> Let me read to you from a book that I mentioned last week, Winning the War to Walk Worthy by Timothy Berry. It's his devotional commentary on this passage. And he says, too often we want to be righteous, but not completely. Or we want to be righteous, but not quite yet. 
After all, there are still some things we enjoy that we know are displeasing to the Lord. At times, our prayer may be similar to that of Augustine's before he was converted. Lord, make me pure, but not yet. In what areas are you like Augustine? Perhaps you want God to deliver you from a relationship you know is not right, but not yet. You want deliverance from raunchy websites that you keep accessing, but not yet. You want God's deliverance from being lazy, but not yet. You want deliverance from resentment, but not until you have made one more snide remark. Regrettably, we want to enjoy our sin a few more times before we put it away. You will not stand in the worthy walk to which God has called you in Christ with that kind of mindset. Satan will find the weak spot in your righteousness every time. He got a grip on Solomon's love for foreign women and used that to turn Solomon into an idolater. He played on David's pride in numbers and convinced him to launch a nationwide census. Satan is a master at finding the unraveled thread in your spirituality and pulling on it to your ruin. Does that make sense? If there's an area in our lives where we know God says to do this or to not do this, and we say, oh, I know that, but I'm not ready to give that up yet. Satan's going to exploit that. Satan's going to attack that. We have to be willing to look at ourselves openly, honestly, humbly, and admit, yeah, I, I need to change here. God, help me change here. I don't want this weak spot in my armor any longer. We must follow God's instructions from the Bible to live righteously. We have to do so with the right attitude, wholeheartedly. And we can't pick and choose. We need full-orbed integrity. Put on the breastplate of righteous living according to God's instruction and with God's provision in order to stand against your evil enemy. And so we next need to realize, as I've mentioned, that this isn't something we do in our own strength. If we try to do it in our own strength, we will fail. We cannot do this on our own. And so thankfully, as Paul has mentioned already, God has provided the strength we need in order to live righteously. So depend on God's provision for righteous living. We saw in verse 10 that Paul emphasizes that we need to be strengthened by the Lord. That we, we looked at this a few weeks ago, that when God promises us his strength, he has put it to work in us through his spirit. We pray, we ask for the spirit to empower us spiritually, to transform us into Christ's image and we access God's power through prayer as his spirit empowers us. <clears throat> and when we do succeed in living righteously, 
it's not a reason for us to boast about how good we are. That just is pride that opens up another weak spot. This is why when, when we do live righteously, we give thanks, we praise God because it's his work in us. But what does this look like practically? Aside from prayer, what do we actually do to change from being unrighteous to being righteous and Christ-like? Well, that's what we have seen in Ephesians chapter 4. And I keep drawing these connections between chapter 6 and chapter 4 because they are connected. They're important. Turn back with me just a page or two in your Bibles to Ephesians 4, verses 20 to 24. We'll look at this for a minute. So in Ephesians 4, Paul is telling these believers, do not live like pagan unbelievers any longer. Instead, how should you live? Verse 20. But that is not how you came to know Christ, assuming you heard about him and were taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, to take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. So that's the process for how we change. We put off the old man. That's pretty obvious. You stop those sinful ways of living. And then you put on the new man that looks like Christ. But what's that middle step? That's the key. How do you actually change from the inside out so that your heart actually changes and you're actually becoming more like Christ? You renew the spirit of your minds. And as he emphasizes in that paragraph, it comes from truth. You renew your mind with truth. And that is what changes you to be like Christ and to live righteously. It's not something where we just, okay, I'm going to stop doing this and I'm going to start doing this. It's not that easy. It really isn't. We have to be changed in our minds, in the way that we think. We have to be changed in our hearts, in our attitudes, in our motives. And the way that that happens is through God's truth. As we learn truth from Christ, as we grow in our understanding of the truth, as we let our thinking be shaped by the truth, that produces righteousness and purity and Christ-likeness in us that that's the key and sometimes this this will just kind of happen naturally a lot of times you see this with new believers where they get saved and all of a sudden they understand things and there's a big change all of a sudden and all this fruit just kind of naturally appears as they grow in their relationship with Christ that does happen sometimes but most of the time most of the time, it takes concentrated, focused, grace-dependent effort where you are depending on God and you're saying, Lord, I know this is, this is my weak spot. For example, my speech. I need to change how I'm talking. 
And so I'm going to focus on this area, and I want you to help me to grow in this area, and I'm going to renew my mind with truth about what my speech should be like and why it should be that way. And so I know for me a lot of times, and I'm sure it's true for you too, when I want to grow, it's hard for me to get down to the nitty-gritty of I need to grow in this specific area. A lot of times it's, Lord, I just want to grow. Just help me grow. And it's this vague thing. And it's like, what are you trying to grow? You know, you've got to focus on something specific and get God's help to grow in that specific area. And we can't lose sight of what we keep bringing up, that this is a corporate thing, that it's not just me working by myself. It's not just me standing as a lone soldier by myself, but we are an army. We are the body of Christ, and we are supposed to minister to one another. Or if you see another soldier trying to get that armor on of righteousness, and they're struggling, they keep failing, you don't stand back and criticize them and say, man, look at that loser. He can't get his armor on. Why can't he get his act together? No. You go over and you help him put it on. You pray with them. You encourage them. You speak the truth to them in love. We help one another. And there is a time when we do point out people's sins. If someone's clearly got a, a weak spot, a blind spot in their armor, and they're not willing to admit it, there is a time to go to them and say, hey, look, the way you're living here does not line up with how God has told us to live. You've got a big, open, weak spot that Satan's going to exploit. You need to change. There's a time and a place for that. But we also need to make sure that we're encouraging one another. We're loving one another. We're holding each other accountable, not in a condemning way, but in, an, in a supportive way. And that we need to seek accountability too. Or if I know that I'm struggling with a certain sin, I'm going to ask someone, hey, can you text me weekly or even every day and just ask how I'm doing with this or send me a Bible verse to help me get my mind on the right thing. We help one another. So let's, let's just apply these principles we've been talking about to a specific situation. Let's say that you know that your prayer life is weak. Common struggle. My prayer life's not as good as I want it to be. What do you do? How do you grow so that you become more like Christ and you strengthen that prayer life? Well... Like we've seen, we renew our minds with truth. We study prayer in the Bible, just like we saw in Sunday school. He studied Nehemiah's prayer. There were some great principles there. You study prayer in the Bible, or maybe you read a good book on prayer that's biblically based. I can give recommendations. And then you actually pray. You, you begin to pray and ask God to help you grow. I mean, we, we're all familiar with the Lord's Prayer, right? Most of us at least are. <clears throat> Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, so on. In Luke, 
what is it that moves Jesus, that motivates him to teach that? The disciples come to him and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. Have you ever done that? Have you ever gone to Christ and said, Lord, teach me to pray? I'm weak in this. Help me. That's when you, you go and you depend on God and say, Lord, I, I know I need to grow in my prayer life. Help me to do this. Teach me to pray. And then you might get someone in the church to hold you accountable for that. Just to text you every day something like, hey, don't forget to pray today. Or I hope you enjoy your time with God in prayer today. Or did you pray today? Something like that where someone's encouraging you and holding you accountable. And then what happens when you fail? When you know you need to pray, your alarm on your phone goes off and says, time to pray, and you think, mm, I think I'm just going to watch another YouTube video. And we've all been there, right? What do you do when you fail like that? It's what we said before. You confess it. You trust in Christ. You get back up, and you keep going. You don't despair. You don't stay down and let Satan kick you. You trust in Christ and you get up and you keep going. And when your friend texts you that day, you say, yeah, I messed up, but you know what? I've confessed it and I'm going to do better tomorrow and I'm going to grow in this. And that's how we help one another and how we grow in our walk with Christ, how we grow in our righteousness. And we can take these principles, prayer, depending on God, being involved in the body of Christ, renewing our minds with truth. We take these principles, we can apply them to any sin, to any area of our lives. Sexual purity, anger, compassion, our speech, forgiveness, submission, whatever. You take those principles and you apply them to your life and you grow in righteousness. So that's what it looks like to live righteously, to put on the armor of God's righteousness. We depend on God, we obey his instruction, and, <clears throat> and then we, we ask one another to help us in that. We stand together as God's army. <clears throat> Excuse me. And as our big idea says, why do we need to do this? Okay. What is the big deal about living righteously? Well, we put on the breastplate of righteousness, to, of righteous living, according to God's instruction and with God's provision in order to stand against your evil enemy. Now, there are other reasons we do this simply to glorify God, to please God, to be close to God. But in the passage that we're looking at in Ephesians 6, Paul is wanting us to be able to stand when Satan attacks us. And he is evil. Paul has made that clear. He says it in verse um, 12. He says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. Satan is evil. 
He doesn't want you to live righteously. His very nature, his very character is opposed to that in your life. And he will take any chance he can to exploit those weaknesses if we let him. So what might his attacks look like? Well, let me give you just three forms that this attack, these temptations to live unrighteously might take. And each of those, if you study uh, Matthew chapter 4, where Satan comes to Christ in the desert and he tempts Christ, you can pull those principles out and see these forms. Number one, sometimes Satan contradicts God's instruction where God has given us instruction about how to live, and sometimes Satan comes and he just flat out contradicts it. He did that with Christ. He told Christ, worship me, and I will give you the kingdom of the kingdoms of the world. Flat out contradiction, because what does Christ say? You should worship the Lord your God alone. Now that's pretty obvious, usually, when Satan does that when he comes and he just straight up contradicts it. And so usually Satan will use something that we we still want, a sinful desire that we might still have, and he'll use that to try and tempt us with just a flat-out contradiction. Something like, yeah, go ahead, unleash your anger on that person. Just let them have it. God tells us not to do that. He says to put away sinful anger. But Satan comes and he says, man, it will make you feel better if you do that. Just just vent on them. Let them have it. And he says, it'll make you feel good. You know, he uses something like that. Or probably the most common one is sexual sin. It'll feel so good if you do that. Yeah, God says not to do that, but it'll be worth it. No, it's a contradiction of God's instruction. It's unrighteous. And we run to God's instruction. We strengthen ourselves with that truth and we live righteously. Secondly, Satan sometimes will twist God's instruction where instead of just contradicting it, he might come to us the way he does with Jesus. And he says, he quotes a psalm And he says, God said that his angels would protect you. Go ahead, jump off the roof of this building, the temple. And Jesus says, but God also said that you shouldn't tempt the Lord your God. Did you know Satan knows the Bible? He does. But he uses it to twist it and to confuse us and to try to get us to live unrighteously and foolishly. And that's why we need to really know the Bible, not just in general, but we need to know it in the details. Because Satan's crafty. He knows how to twist those things. And so a common one that I've heard numbers of times, well, God says he will provide for you. So I don't need to manage my money. I don't, I can just spend however I want and God will take care of me. That is not the whole biblical teaching on finances and God's provision. That is a twisting of a promise from God. 
okay? So, he contradicts God's instruction. He twists God's instruction. Thirdly, sometimes he will trick you into turning a legitimate desire into an illegitimate one. Satan comes to Christ. He's been fasting for 40 days. Okay, he's beyond hungry at this point. Satan comes to him and says, if you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. Is hunger, is eating food a legitimate desire? Yes, it is. God gives us food to enjoy, to thank him for, to keep us alive. That's a legitimate thing. Satan wanted to take that legitimate hunger for Christ and twist it into a sinful desire, an illegitimate desire. And this is where we have to keep our close, a close eye on our hearts, where we, we have to monitor how our hearts, what our desires are doing. Because sometimes we can begin to idolize things, where even with food, it's okay to enjoy good food. But if you slip into gluttony, where you can't control yourself around it, it's a sin. Or I know sometimes um, people can get this idea of, well, I need to rest physically. I need a break. I need to rest. And yes, that's true. The principle that I try to follow is have a Sabbath. I'm not very good at following it, honestly, but <laughs> I overwork myself. But we do. We're not God. We get tired. We need to sleep. We need to rest. We need to have a day off. But sometimes we can begin to enjoy that so much where every free moment we're on social media or we're watching TV or we're taking a nap and we're never actually being productive for the glory of God. It's like one author said, we're amusing ourselves to death. That's laziness, frankly. There is a legitimate need for rest. And God has given us guidance on how to pursue that desire for rest. But if we let it grow too large, if it becomes too important to us, then it's become an idol, it becomes sinful, and we begin to neglect our God-given responsibilities. Satan is so sneaky. He's so crafty when he does these things. He will put something in front of us that we desire and flat out contradict God's word to tempt us, or he'll come to us with something out of context from the Bible and twist it to try and get us to live in a way that doesn't please God or he'll take a legitimate need and he'll try to sneak it in and grow it and make it bigger and bigger to where eventually that becomes our God instead of the true God. So we counteract that by putting on the breastplate of righteous living according to God's instruction and with God's provision in order to stand against our evil enemy. 
he will come to us and try to get us to live unrighteously. And we have to know what it means to live righteously according to God's instruction. We have to be dependent on God for the strength to do that. And we can't leave any weak areas, any gaps in our armor. Again, we're not living sinlessly. That's impossible this side of heaven. But we're not um, intentionally neglecting something that God's told us to do in order that we have a weak spot that Satan can exploit. So do you, do you hunger and thirst for that kind of righteous living that God has told us to live? I pray that you do. I hope that you don't see this as just a burden, a list of rules to follow. But this is a path to joy, a path to being close to God and knowing him and being like him and really having strength to stand against Satan as well. Righteous living, it's worth it. It is good. It is part of our armor that God gives us. So let's pray. Let's ask for God's grace in this. And as we go home today and throughout the week, let's, let's pay attention to our lives. Where might we have weak spots? And let's help one another stand as the body of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you are a righteous God. Thank you for your love for us and that you have given us your own righteousness. Thank you that you have given your spirit to us to enable us to live righteously. We thank you, Lord, that you strengthen us to stand against the attacks of Satan. We thank you that you are so gracious to us that you don't just leave us on our own, but you are with us to strengthen us and defend us against our enemy. I pray that you would help us to walk carefully, to walk wisely, to walk in the spirit, that we would not be easy targets for an evil enemy. Strengthen us for this and help us to love one another in this so that we could stand together and glorify you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.